This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered legal advice. The transmission of information on this podcast is not intended to establish and receipt of such information does not establish or constitute an attorney-client relationship. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements. Welcome to After the Buzzer, our podcast where we talk to sports leaders about what keeps them busy during the ever-changing and fast-moving world of sports. I'm Bob Wallace, partner and chair of the Sports Law Group at Thompson Coburn, a nationwide law firm that has offices in St. Louis, Chicago, Dallas, Los Angeles, and Washington, D.C. Thanks for joining me for another episode of our podcast. Our last hot podcast episode highlighted outgoing Missouri Valley Conference Commissioner Doug Elgin. Today, we have a chance to interview the man replacing Jeff Jackson. Jeff comes to the MVC from the Big 12 Conference, where he was Executive Associate Commissioner, Men's Basketball, and Game Management. His duties there were to oversee men's basketball, working directly with Big 12 coaches, administrators, and the officiating programs, while coordinating the Phillips 66 Big 12 Men's Basketball Championship. Jeff was well-equipped for that responsibility, because he had a 30-year college basketball career, including seven seasons as head coach at Furman and three years as head coach at New Hampshire. He was also a member of the coaching staffs at Vanderbilt, Stanford, Colorado State, St. Bonaventure, USC, and Cornell, where he played basketball and graduated. In addition to that, and also prior to joining the Big 12, Jeff spent four years as deputy commissioner of the Big South, where he oversaw external operations, championships, and sports administration with primary focus on men's and women's basketball. Jeff's experience in television matters, branding efforts, and strategic planning, as well as doing color commentary, has prepared him for this new role. It is a great pleasure to welcome Jeff Jackson to the St. Louis sports scene. Jeff, welcome to St. Louis. Thank you, Bob, and thank you for the kind words. Well, it's great. So tell us a little bit about your background. We were talking a little bit off before we started that uh, you're, a, you're a native New Yorker. Uh, yeah, and grew up there and uh, went went to Cornell afterwards. So tell tell me about your start in uh, your athletic endeavors. No, that's pretty much it. You know, grew up in New York City and uh, was fortunate enough to uh, uh, be an okay football player and and ended up uh, having a chance to attend Cornell University, where I met my uh, bride to be, and we're still married, and she still talks to me. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, kind of got into coaching there uh, during my. Uh, uh, played football for a year and then played basketball for a year and, and physically just couldn't do it. Um, and so my last two years at Cornell, I started coaching. And actually in the Ivy League, um, you have junior varsity basketball in the collegiate level. And so I was able to be the head junior varsity coach and caught the bug and uh, really enjoyed it and had a fantastic experience for 30 years coaching Division One basketball. And um, after my last uh, tenure at Furman expired, I decided to try administration and was very fortunate to uh, have a chance to work in the Big South and then to work with Bob Bowlesby uh, in the Big 12. And uh, then over the last couple months have uh, made the transition to, uh, and I guess do technically the commissioner in waiting for the Missouri Valley Conference, which uh, I'm extremely uh, grateful for the opportunity and excited to uh, get started. Wait, 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 so now you were a student and coaching the JV basketball team at, at yeah, yeah, exactly right. I was I was finishing up my undergraduate degree, and at the same time, I was coaching the junior varsity basketball team. That is accurate. 
Wow. Who was the head coach uh, that, that let you do that, that trusted you? That's well, you a compliment. Know, it's kind of an interesting thing because, again, most universities do not have Ivy League programs. And, uh, the, you know, the Ivy Leagues, I shouldn't say junior varsity programs, the Ivy Leagues do. And so, you know, you're always kind of looking around for somebody to help with that because it's not a position that's going to pay very well. Um, so my junior in college, I was actually the assistant JV coach. And then the JV coach got promoted to the varsity staff and they were looking for somebody to uh, take on that role. And I foolishly raised my hand and the next thing I knew I was the coach. Okay, well, good. So the coaching bug, uh, for 30 years you've done that. Do you miss it? No, you know, and part of the reason I don't miss it is because what I do now. Um, you know, I think the whole thing about coaching is, is you really enjoy the interaction and the impact that you're having on young people's lives and, you, and you're trying to figure out a way to, you know, allow them to have a better opportunity and uh, having the chance to go into administration, especially in the positions that I've been in, uh, you still have a chance to continue to do that. Do you, do you miss the, the being at, at the conference level that you've been at for really the last, what, five or six years at, at the Big South and now at the Big 12? Your interaction with the student athletes a little different than when you were a basketball coach? It is. It is. When, when you're on campus, obviously, it's day to day. You know, you, you're, you're, you're kind of you're seeing them, you're watching them grow, you're watching them mature. Uh, you, you're really in, in a much more intimate fashion helping them deal with their problems. You know, I think at the conference level, you're setting up ways for them to be successful, but obviously not with the same level of intimacy that you have when you're in the campus environment. But it's equally as important because if you don't have those ground rails and if you don't have those guardrails in and those parameters, it's hard for them to move forward. So both are, support, both are extremely important. Um, they just have different paths. So you're a head coach, obviously, and now you're going to be a commissioner. So now you're really in charge. So talk about some of the lessons that you've learned that you think that have prepared you to lead a conference and be to be the number one leader. So what, have you, what are you bringing to the table? Said, this is what I've always wanted to do uh, as, as a leader of, a, of an organization, and this is what I'm going to do. So your leadership style sort of how you are going to approach some of the big problems, how you're going to get off to a start and all those kind of things. Well, you know, I don't know if it's a style or just a way or, 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 or a way of approaching it, but, you know, I'm big on metrics. I, I kind of like to know the facts of the matter and, and I'm big on consensus. So, you know, I think the one thing you learn when you're dealing with uh, 10 different institutions coming from the big 12, we had 10 schools. Now in the Valley, we have 10. Every institution has got a different challenge. Every institution has a, a, a different agenda. A, a different day to day that they have to walk. And I think the whole goal is to to understand, learn and try and give each one of them the best opportunity to move forward and, you know, try and be a good listener. Um, hope is not a good strategy. So, you know, to try and look at things in a pragmatic fashion. Um, I do think coming from a coaching background, the intimacy that I've had on campus, I think helps. I don't think it's a common approach in the conference office. So I think that maybe gives me a, a little bit of a different way that I like to think is a positive way of looking at things. Um, but, you know, I think the whole thing is we're all trying to figure out ways to make sure that our student athletes are having the best possible experience that they can have. Yeah, that's very interesting that you say coming, being a person who's been on campus and now going to the conference, you, you bring that experience where I know that uh, I, I worked for the NFL for a number of years for clubs and we always used to say the league office, they don't understand things because they've never they've never had to worry about it. And, you, and you're bringing that experience 
uh, to the table, which uh, which could be a, a real plus, I think, for uh, the for the for the conference. I agree. It's an important merger. You, you kind of want to know what's going on in a campus environment. You know, I have the good fortune. I'm going to know or have a sense of what the coaches are thinking, how they're looking at things. But I also understand how presidents and athletic directors are looking at it from the experience that I've had administratively. And I think being able to merge all those variables will, will, will prove beneficial. So why, why the NBC? Why did, what made you attracted to this, this particular position? It's a great job. You know, it's just like anything. It's, 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 it's a great opportunity to lead. It's a great opportunity to serve. Um, it's a great opportunity to help people grow, you know, on their campuses and, 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 and create a situation where people really, you know, have a chance to feel a lot of pride for being part of the Valley. It's, you know, I'm a basketball guy. You know, I remember, you know, 15, 20, 25, 30 years ago watching Arch Madness. You know, it's, it's, it's a huge deal. Um, great basketball schools with tremendous legacy for success. Uh, it's, it's pretty hard to find a reason not to want to be in the Missouri Valley. You know, it's funny when, when I was talking to Commissioner Elgin, we we're talking about some of the legacy of, of the Missouri Valley Conference, some of the great players that uh, that have played here, you know, Oscar Robinson and Larry Bird and Hershey Hawkins. And uh, it, it is quite a legacy that the, the, the Valley has. It's, it, it may be uh, one of the best kept secrets. So you're coming in here and we're I, I think we're taping this on the 100th day of Biden administration. So that seems to be the latest thing with the first 100 days. What's your first 100 days going to look like? Do you have a 100-day plan for yourself? No, no, no. I, I think That's not the answer. Days... I, I got to interview you. you gotta... <laughs> <laughs> I think my first 100 days is about learning our schools. You know, I think I'm hopeful the first 100 days that I'm, I'm in my car and I'm driving up to Cedar Falls or, or driving into Peoria or or, or driving over to Springfield and getting a chance to sit down and get to know our student athletes, our coaches, our athletic directors, our presidents, and get a sense of what they need on their campuses in order to make sure that they're moving in a positive direction. I think, uh, I don't wanna presume anything. I, I kinda wanna have a better chance and a better feel of just what it's like. So I, I think my first 100 days is about educating myself, you know, whether via our staff or, which I think is outstanding or, or, or via uh, uh, our campuses, or our student athletes, or our administrators in terms of, hey, what are the things that we can do to help the uh, Missouri Valley continue to evolve? Well, you've been in the business too long to have a complete blank slate. Do you have any preconceived sort of thought process, things that, you know, that, have, that, that you look at from the outside now coming in and say, I've got to find out about this? Uh, yeah, we, we've got to be great at basketball. We, 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 we have to, that, that's the front porch of our conference. That's what people are going to know is by um, in a national level. We need to be great in basketball. We need to be a conference that consistently has multiple teams achieving NCAA tournament selection, which we saw last season on both the men and the women's side. You know, I don't think there's anything more important than uh, what takes place in our regular season that leads to the chance of NCAA tournament bids and then arch madness and you know what we have going on with our women's programs in Moline, those have got to be featured events uh, when we're talking about the Missouri Valley. So some of the challenges that uh, I talked to Doug about, and, and I, I'd like to get your thoughts on, is one, scheduling for basketball. He thought that was really very, very important. 
And two, he he said that you had a uh, that he always worried a little bit about uh, losing coaches. And he said, and he said, but Jeff has come in and taken the position that th- that's a not a good thing for the conference, but it it shows that the conference that you're going to get good coaches because it is a it is a they play top notch co- uh, competition, and then they can uh, if they want they can go to an Oklahoma and make five million dollars a year. It's not a bad thing. You know, I I think, you know, whether it's a student athlete, whether it's a coach, whether it's an administrator, you know, we're all looking to try and do things to better ourselves. We're we're all looking for challenges. We all want to compete against the best. Um, You know, I think the unique thing about the Valley is that you can do it from both ends of the spectrum. It's, It's a great place to come in. And if this is where you want to be for the rest of your life, you're at the highest level of the collegiate stratus and you have a chance to be successful. But, you know, an instance of Porter Moser going to Oklahoma, I don't look at that as a negative. I look at that as a, a result of a tremendous, uh, you know, uh, confluence of what took place administratively at Loyola, what took place with that team, what took place in regards to the presidential level and how they treated basketball. And we should be building villages, you know, and I would imagine under Coach Valentine, Loyola will continue to have success. And if we are gonna have the type of success at this level, and, and we're, we're not a high major conference, we're a very good mid-major, we've got some high major tendencies that people need to be more aware of, but we're gonna lose coaches from time to time because they're gonna have opportunities that either gonna be more lucrative, we're gonna allow them to have different challenges that they strive for. And I don't wanna look that as a negative because I also think we're going to attract great coaches because of what the Valley is. So from my perspective, yeah, we're going to lose some coaches. You know, I serve on the men's basketball oversight committee with Matt Painter, uh, the head coach of Purdue and Quanzo Martin, the head coach of Missouri. They both coach in the Valley. You know what? And we've had good coaches before then. We had good coaches during their tenure and we're going to continue to have good coaches, you know, behind people like, you know, coach Moser. So when you, so you, You've been a, a a coach, been an administrator, been in the basketball world. When people found out that you were taking this job, did they? What did they say to you? They said, "Jeff, you got to do this." Or what? What advice did they give you about coming to the Missouri Valley? I, I don't think I got many. I think one got a lot of congratulatory notes, which I was pleased with. Still, probably working on answering all of them, but that's that. That was a good thing. You know, I I think everybody understands that uh, in college basketball, this is a pretty dynamic time. Um, you know, whether you're talking about NIL, name, image, and likeness, whether you're talking about the new transfer rules, um, whether we're talking about gender equity, I think there's a lot of moving pieces right now. So I think everybody understands that uh, whatever you're doing in this field, you kind of need to take a breath. You need to get a sense of what the landscape is and, and be very, you know, uh, prudent in your deliberation about what you're going to do, how and why. You, you you hit three topics that I that I wanted to ask you about. I'm going to start with the last one that you started with, which is gender equity. And obviously, we saw during the men's basket men's and women's basketball uh, the difference in the way the NCA treated the women and treated the men. Uh, and it, it, obviously, I think everybody was embarrassed by that. The Missouri Valley, as you said, the, the front porch of your conference is basketball, and the front porch is probably men's basketball, but the women's basketball program has been very successful. How do you balance those, those, the, the two where men is the moneymaker, but 
you really want to give the women uh, an, a good opportunity and a good experience as well. Well, our women's basketball programs were extremely successful this year. Two, again, two multiple multiple bids. So that's where you want to be. Um, I think the most important thing is that we're equitable, that we're fair, you know, that we're making sure, you know, through a, a consistent auditing process that we're not letting anything slip through the cracks. You know, the conversations that I've had with our staff, I think we're in a really good place in, in assuring that our women's basketball teams are having an equal experience to our men's basketball teams in regards to what they experience, what they go through, um, what they have a chance to partake of as basketball players in the Missouri Valley. Yeah. Or so as talk about I don't, I don't want to just limit this conversation to, to basketball because, again, even in the NCAA, I think that conversation has been limited to basketball. But, again, we want to make sure that exists, whether we're talking about baseball and softball, whether we're talking about track, whether we're talking about soccer, it is extremely important that everybody feels that they're being treated fairly and equitably and that decisions aren't being made that in any way change, shape, or penalize somebody simply based on their gender. Right. I mean, and you mentioned a bunch of the other sports. The MVC is, uh, has good programs in uh, what other sports? I mean, basketball I think every, you know, I, you look at our baseball, you look at our volleyball, you look at our track and field. We're pretty fortunate. We've got a deep bench in terms of being someplace that if you're a student athlete, regardless of what you play, what sport you participate in, we, we've got some schools that you can come and have a tremendous experience at. Speaking of that, it seems like it's the wild west in terms of the transfer uh, rules. Now, talk about transferring and, and this new system, it seems like, is it... I guess yesterday or a couple of days ago, they passed a new rule that you can transfer once uh, without sitting out. Yeah, it's, it's not so much a, a passing of a new rule. Yes, they do. It's something that they've been talking about for a while, but it, it feels a little bit like the Wild Wild West. But I think we all have to understand it's a little bit of a confluence of issues this year. One, we the NCAA granted student athletes an extra year. Basically, this year doesn't count. Um, because of the pandemic. So anybody who is a junior this year is a junior next year. Um, we have um, maybe in some ways equaled the playing field. In other words, in the sports of basketball, football, hockey, we are now allowing those student athletes to transfer one time within their academic career without having to do what we call a year of residency or sit out a year. Well, that's something that we've been doing in all other sports. I think all we've done is gotten to a point where we're making it fair for student athletes in their decision making process about their lives um, while they're student athletes. Um, and, and, and so we're seeing maybe a, a little bit more transferring than we normally would. We still have the graduate transfer rule, which means that if you finish up your degree, you can go someplace else and play immediately. You don't have to go through that year of residency. Again, we got people getting that extra year. So we've got a lot of different things that's making this year a little bit more unique. I think it'll tamp down over time, but I also think this is what we're going to see for a while. Where we're going to see, uh, you know, kids looking at it and saying, "Hey, I'm not getting enough playing time. I'm not happy. I'm going to try something different." I'm a little concerned about it because I think there's a place, Bob, where you want to battle through adversity. You know, I, 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 I hate the concept and the idea that the first time something goes awry, a student athlete feels like, well, it's going to be greener, you know, on the other side. And, and what we know as, as mature adults is that's not the case. 
you know, there's really not going to be that much of a variance between how you're treated in one basketball program and how you're treated in another. Um, so I think, you know, at the start, we're going to have a lot of movement, but I think over time, water will find its level and, and, and this process will calm down and, and, and people will work through it and it may be a more pragmatic uh, uh, fashion. So has, have you noticed, is, is there a sort of a, a numbers game now going on with the extra year and, you know, freshmen coming in and, uh, or is it kind of balancing out? Well, if, if you, in your program, if you have a senior that wants to return, you can go beyond the scholarship limit of 13 on the men's side or 15 on the women's side to retain that senior. But that's the only time that you can go beyond that number. So you're not going to see other for this upcoming season. You may see a, a few rosters that have one or two extra players, but a lot of guys are going to choose to move on. Um, some are going to stay. You're probably going to see more student athletes stay at the mid-major level than you're going to see at the high-major level because at the high major level, you've got a little bit more of a professional influence in terms of opportunity, where at the mid-major level, there may be a professional opportunity, but it's simply not gonna be as lucrative. So for the first year or two, the extra year, so to speak, will probably benefit a conference like the Missouri Valley more than a conference like the Big 12. So you, you, you're now moving from one of the power fives to a mid-major, and I want to talk a little about the NIL and what. How do you see that playing in those two kind of spaces? Uh, but just an overview, moving from the Power Five, where the autonomy to to this up to this next level group. What, what do you see? Some of the challenges or, or some of the differences that that you have, other than money. Well, I, I think the, I think the biggest difference is obvious is money. You know, there, there's simply more resources um, in the A5 conferences than you have in, in the other conferences. And that's never going to change. Uh, NIL is probably going to have a little bit of a bigger impact in the A5 than at a conference level of, of ours. But that doesn't mean that it's not going to come in play. And I think everybody has to be open-minded about what's going to take place here because it is coming. And I think we need to embrace it when it does come. Now, I think the problem is, is right now it is so ambiguous we don't really know what it's going to be. We don't know what form it's going to take, you know, between what we're seeing when it comes to different legislation being proposed by different states, uh, the fact that we're still waiting to see how the Supreme Court looks at the Austin case, because we think that could have an impact. We're still trying to figure out um, just how to administer it. I think we're probably still a year away not in terms of its implementation, but in terms of just figuring out how to manage it and how it's going to impact our programs at all levels of Division One. Yeah, I, I listened to the or, the oral argument for the Alston case. It was very interesting for, for listeners. The Alston case was uh, brought against the NCAA uh, so that students could get benefits, educational benefits, and the NCAA took a position that that would impact the amateurism of their sport. Uh, I think the commentators were basically saying the Supreme Court seemed to come down on the side of Alston and not uh, the NCAA. 
And I kept telling people that you can never guess what the Supreme Court's going to do based upon the questions that they ask. They are they play the devil's advocate. Uh, but what do you see about paying college athletes and, and the amateurs, uh, you know, model that we've been using for for decades? Uh, and well, how, one, how do you see the change? One, you know, to be clear, name, image, and likeness is not about paying college athletes. Okay, um, name, image, and likeness is about college athletes having the ability outside the arena of the college game, outside of recruiting, to make money off their name, their image, and their likeness. Um, and, and, I, and I think it's important that 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 is separated because we are not looking to take this into a professional model where we're paying people for the talents that they provide in the arena or on the field or on the court. So, you know, that's important. Personally, we do compensate our college out. I think one of the things that has been lost in this conversation is somehow we've gotten to the point that a college education is not worth anything. And, and I think we're, we're, we're sometimes overly remiss and simply not understanding the value of a student athlete having a chance to go to college for free, especially when we know the impact, especially from a longevity vantage point of a college degree financially on any person who has the chance to, to go through that process. Uh, I think we're missing the importance of that um, in, in, in maybe underselling how that is. And I also think we've got to be careful that when we're talking about NIL, that whatever we come up with as a plan isn't just pointed towards the aberrational athlete, okay? Look, Zion Williamson, I'm coming from a conference where we had Kate Cunningham, it's probably gonna be the number one pick in the draft in a few weeks. Those guys are different, those guys are unicorns, okay? I think we've gotta be mindful that 90 to 95% of the people we're talking about their market is a college, is a chance to go to college for free and nothing more and nothing less. I've heard the argument that a, a women's tennis player from the Missouri Valley may have a better chance to market her name, image, and likeness as opposed to a quarterback at Kansas. I think that's plausible, especially if that woman athlete has a, a, a TikTok following, is an influencer, um, has the ability now to run a camp because she's from a community where she's well known and people want to learn how to play tennis. I think there's a lot of ways again, but the things that we're talking about there don't impact winning and losing games and don't impact the recruiting process. And I think that's what we're trying to, as much as we can from our role, that's where we're trying to create some separation. Well, it'll it'll be an interesting time. I mean, you know, we touched upon three of those issues, and uh, I think you'll. It's not like you're going to come in and not have to deal with those as you, over the next few years. Uh, you know, I think the the NCA has taken you know sort of a I, I call they've gone into a four corners on this NIL. I think they'll have to deal with it quicker than they are. 
I'm not sure, Bob, I would agree it's the four corners. I think what they're doing is they're waiting to see what, what the Supreme Court does with the Austin case, because I think we all know that the Supreme Court did not take the Austin case simply to uh, let the Ninth District know that they, they did a good job. <laughs> okay, they, they, they took it for a reason. They're going to want to make a point, whatever that point is. Um, so I, I think if you feel like the NCA in this case, not, not that we haven't at times uh, made mistakes, but I think in this case, uh, whatever the lay is taking place is because there, there is some anxious to see where the, where the Supreme Court comes out in regards to the Austin decision. You know, if, if I can be critical of the NCA, but I can be even more critical of Congress. And I, and I would be very <laughs> nervous if I was the NCA or college athletics that I was going to let congressional, the Congress come up with a plan for our sport. I think you guys need to get out in front of that uh, before they do well, something you know, that doesn't we, work. We need, we need their help here because in, in you're a lawyer, so you know we, we need preemption. We, we, we can't have 30 to 32 different legislative right. policies on NIL. We, we, we need, in, in this case, we do need their help because we need a national concept. We need a national way of doing this. Um, and so I'm hopeful that they do look at it from that vantage point. Um, and we also, as you know, we need some safe harbor. We, we, we need that antitrust protection. So there are things that we need here, or, or at least we're hopeful of, of receiving, in order to make sure that we can operate and in, in a fashion that we can still recognize. Uh, what, what I would push back a little bit and say, what they're basically saying is, yeah, we'll help you, but you need to acknowledge that the system that you have and just trying to put a bandaid over this, this big saw is not going to work. We want, we want a program that is going to give the college athlete uh, more flexibility than they currently have. And, they seem to not be getting that kind of cooperation from the higher well, ups. I'll point. push back a little bit and say you're 100% right. It needs to evolve, but I do think you're seeing that flexibility and mobility a little bit because you spoke about it at the beginning of your show with the transfer portal. You know, look, you're right. There's a lot of kids in there. There's, there's a lot of things going on, but that is part of the mobility and the flexibility that you are granting these student athletes. And, you know, we're going to have to live with those decisions. Some of those decisions are going to be very good decisions. Some of those decisions are going to be very bad decisions. Right. It'll be, it'll be, I, it, it's something that I think those of us who are sports lawyers and those of you who are sports executives uh, will have to follow and stay on top of because uh, it, it is, it well, is changing. It's, 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 there's, there's, if anybody wants to tell you they know they have an answer or they know where this is heading, they're, they're being disingenuous. Nobody has an answer and nobody right now knows exactly where this is heading. Right. I, I always say there's too many smart people that have an interest in this and too many people making some money off of this that they really need to come together and say, okay, we're not trying to solve a problem for the system we have. We're trying to come up with a system to deal with the changes in in our game, I mean, you know, television, salaries, uh, mobility, all those things are, are so much different than they were in the 19, even 1980. Sure. Yeah. sure. I, I think one of one of the constants that gets lost either is, is look, we've got to be mindful of Title IX. You know, we were talking about gender equity at the beginning of this. You know, whatever we do, we don't want to in any way 
move backwards in regards to the things that we've done, uh, you know, to try and achieve gender equity when it comes to the ability to participate in sports. And so there's, there's a lot of things in play here because, as you know, as well as I do, Bob, a lot of the money that comes in, whether it's from a TV contract, whether it's from a, a sponsorship or things of that nature, you know, it helps support our Olympic sports, which include a lot of the money that goes into Title IX. Right, right. No, no, I, I, I'm not saying that it's an easy problem that you guys no. have to deal with. It's not easy, but it, it's one that, uh, as you said, will evolve. So talk a little bit about you, you're coming to St. Louis and you're you're moving into town and looking around. And, you know, one of the things that have been very uh popular here in St. Louis is the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament. Uh, and it's been here for, I, what, 25 years or so? Talk about so. What, how you're looking at that. And do you have any thoughts about how to make it better? Leave it alone. Uh, why St. Louis? Is St. Louis in, in your mind, you think St. Louis is a place that will continue to host it uh, during your tenure? I would hope so. I, I think St. Louis is fantastic. I think it's the right place. I think I think it's it's a, there's a very obvious motive. We we simply want to get more people in the building. We want more people to understand how good Missouri Valley basketball is, and we're going to work very hard within the community, um, and within the region, and within our campus communities to bring more people for this event to get more people to understand how much of a great event it is, um, to get more community involvement. That is something that is going to be at the top of our chart in terms of the things that we want to get accomplished uh, and, and get accomplished very quickly. So the, how did the pandemic, I mean, you're at the Big 12, so it had the same effect. What kind of effect did that have on college athletics in the past two years? I think it was huge. I, I, I think, you know, um, the financial impact, you know, colleges are, are for, for the most part, nonprofits. You know, so their budgets are year to year, especially if on the athletic side. So you go a year and if your budget is $17 million, now all of a sudden you can only cover eight or nine of it. That, that, that's a huge impact. We, we've seen it in furloughs. We've seen it in layoffs. Um, we've seen it in, in, in umpteen different ways that have had a negative impact. And it's been a challenge, you know, uh, no matter how big or how small a program is, you've had to deal with the, the virus. Even people would be mind boggled in terms of how much money we've spent on testing this year. The things that we've had to do in order to make sure that we're keeping our student athletes safe, whether it's been testing, whether it's been minimizing attendance so that we have enough social distancing in play. It's been an incredible challenge for everybody, and it's been an incredible learning opportunity. And I think there will be things that we take from this that we'll continue to use moving forward because, as we all know, necessity is the mother of invention, and we all became extremely creative. Over right. The last I was going to ask that question. 14 months. What, what have you learned? What, what are some of the things that we were forced to do during the pandemic that you think will continue going forward? You know, it'll be, I, I think one of the things, and I think your, 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 your audience would appreciate it is, I think we're looking at recruiting differently. You know, we have found an ability to, in some ways, become more intimate with the student athletes that we are courting through Zoom. You know, it's one thing to go to a campus for a day and 
pop in and say hi and, and all those type of things. But, you know, Zoom is perpetual, you know, and, <laughs> and so are, are we able to, in some ways, forge stronger and more proficient relationships with our student athletes as coaches and administrators and support personnel using Zoom? That means we don't have to travel as much. That means that our coaches don't have to spend as much time away from their student athletes or in some cases away from their families. So that that would be one you know thing that comes immediately to my mind that we're probably going to try and decipher and say, hey, are there things in that genre that we want to keep that we want to maintain because we see some positive things moving forward? Good. Yeah. Let me ask you, when you talk about your student athletes and you've been a, you've been a coach and you've been around them on campuses, what, what do you hear from them that they're, that's on the top of their minds about college athletics? You know, it's kind of interesting because the most important thing that we heard from them in the conversations we had, and, and I have to rely on what we learned in the big 12 is they want to compete. They want to do it in a safe way. Uh, I think they understand that the landscape has changed. 10, 15, 20 years ago, you know, uh, student athletes, for, for lack of a better term, were much more subservient. Right now, I think they understand that they have the opportunity to really be heard, to really have an impact on how their experiences are locally and nationally. And they're ready to take advantage of that. And that is something that, at least from our office, we're going to embrace because the reason we do this is for them. And so if we're provided an opportunity to help them grow, to help nurture them, to help them figure out how to make decisions, this is just another peach, just another lab that they have an opportunity to partake in. And, and it's important that we do everything we can uh, to guide them properly. So you, you, you would argue that social media and the ability to communicate and social justice are good things for, for a student athlete in the, as, as they grow. I think anything that provides an opportunity for an experience to learn and grow is what I always thought the whole collegiate experience was supposed to be about. I, I, I agree with you, Jeff. I always say, you know, when they tell me that there's a bunch of uh, remote learning and tutors and, you know, kids are on the road, you know, on a Tuesday through Thursday playing basketball and they're not in class. And they say, well, we have tutors. And I say, you know, I don't, I, I rarely remember what I learned in the classroom from college, but I do remember the interactions that I had with my fellow students and with professors and just, you know, the, the thought processes that we had in class discussing things instead of just, you know, not. Yeah, I'm probably with you, Bob. I can't remember much of Stats 101. Yeah, right. I, but, but you know what? I remember how to communicate. I remember how to comport myself. I remember how to right. think. I remember how to decipher. And that's what you learn in college. Okay. Well, I, I want to thank you. I want to end this a little bit and, uh, with you. And with Doug congratulated you and, and you know, you've been looking at the briefing papers and all that. What, what, do you leave, what do you leave on the table for you to clean up? <laughs> Very little. Very little. That, that's what made it a great job, you know, is that Doug has just been fantastic. And, and you know, and again, we're, we're blessed. He, he's done a terrific job. Uh, the staff is fantastic. They, 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 they're so professional. They're so, they, they, they care about the student athletes. They care about the Missouri Valley. Um, it, it's, 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 I'm, I'm just really fortunate in terms of 
being able to follow what Doug has been able to do and, and what he has left behind him. So in, in five years, what are you going to say that Jeff Jackson has done to make the Missouri Valley a better conference? I hope in five years our student athletes are talking about the wonderful experience that they had in participating in Missouri Valley Championships. I'm hoping we'll seeing a larger footprint on the national stage and people recognizing and talking about the Valley. And I'm hoping that we're walking into uh, Arch Madness and, and you're trying to get in late and you can't find a seat. <laughs> well, I know the commissioner now. <laughs> <laughs> so as a, and in college athletics in general in the next 10 years, what changes do you see? I think NIL will be huge. Um, I, I think maybe the most important thing is is the, the the shift in the paradigm between the student athletes and coaches and administrators. Um, it, it's it's much more of an equal footing, and the coaches and the administrations and the villages that are going to be successful are going to be the ones who not only understand and accept that, uh, but they're going to be the ones who embrace that. Yeah. Well. Jeff, I want to one welcome you to St. Louis. But for our audience, Jeff is a, a native New Yorker, which I am, and he's from Jamaica, New York, which is where I am uh, from. And he went to an Ivy League school, although we don't consider Cornell that. No, no, it's the bastard of the Ivy League. <laughs> we, we all talk about it. You, you right, know but, enough to know that. You know, I, yeah. I, I'll share this with you, and hopefully, it won't take you too long. But you know, I always tell people, you know, I I, I went to a really good state school, it, and what people don't realize is. Cornell is a land grant institution, right? And four of the colleges on their campus actually belong to New York State, and right. then there's three schools that are private. And you know, my wife and my kids probably remind me that because my wife is also a Cornell grad, but she went private. I went to the School of Industrial and Labor Relations, which is okay. public. So people knowing that I went to Cornell, they always kind of sometimes are taken aback when I said, "Hey, I, I went to a really good state school." You know, and, and, you know, so I get a chance to explain to them the, uh, the theory of land grant institutions. It's a beautiful campus. But what, what brought you from the city of New York up to the Cornell, up to Ithaca? In all candor, because the financial aid package is better than the financial aid packages that I was getting for scholarships. <laughs> Unfortunately, we weren't very well off and. Somebody explained to me that I could get an Ivy League degree for free, and I thought that was a pretty good deal. Yeah, that that's a that's a pretty good deal, and and you've made the best of it. So congratulations on uh, becoming the the tenth commissioner, I believe it is, in the MVC. Uh, welcome to St. Louis. I hope we get a chance to break some bread. You said you found yeah. some good places to eat, and I look forward to meeting you in person and and having a lunch with you or something like that. So Stand welcome there, to St. Bob. Louis. Thank yeah. you for taking the time. I really appreciate that. Uh, and, and good luck. And thank you. And, and, and same to you. And, and please stay safe. Stay safe. Well, thank you, uh, fans, uh, people listening to this. I hope you enjoyed listening to our uh, incoming commissioner, Jeff Jackson, and got a sense of what goes on after the buzzer. If you enjoyed our conversation or any of our, our other podcasts, you can provide your feedback by going to Apple Podcasts and, and going to the rating and review section. If you listen on Stitcher, go to stitcher.com and rate us there. If there is a topic you would like to hear us discuss, let us know that too. Thank you for listening.